This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network. Have you ever thought about the people you wish you could have met or you could have seen? Oh, I have quite a list, but very high on that special wished-for list would be St. Martin de Porres. When I was a young man many, many years ago, I remember my mother having a very special devotion to someone known at that time as Blessed Martin de Porres. Well, I didn't know much about him other than he lived centuries ago, and from her holy cards he seemed to be a black man wearing the habit of a Dominican. Well, that was a long time ago, when I was just entering grade school, but I still remember her devotions to him. Over the years, I've learned something about this special man, and believe me, he is very special, and I wish more than ever I could have seen or met him, this holy man to whom God gave so many gifts and graces to show us how we should live our lives. And perhaps in this troubled world of today, he's another example or proof that God does exist and that Martin de Porres must have been God's special angel. We sometimes forget that angels are God's messengers. Well, today, I'd like to tell you a little about this Martin de Porres. He was a man of miracles and a man of faith. He lived his life helping the poor, the disadvantaged, founding an orphanage and hospital for children, and living a life of austerity and prayer while being recognized as a miracle worker with many charisms, such as healing by location, being in two places at the same time, much like Padre Pio. He had the power of healing, communicating with animals, and so much more. But I'm getting ahead of my story. Best we start at the beginning and go back in time to the year 1579 in Lima, Peru. And if we looked up his birth certificate, it would read, Father Unknown. You see, his mother was a freed former black slave who had been born in Panama and had made her way to Peru, where she met a Spanish nobleman who had been attracted to her by her beauty. Well, a baby boy resulted, and she named him Martin de Porres. And being born with the color and characteristics of his mother, the nobleman ignored Martin as a child. Well, those were bitter years, particularly for his mother, who also bore a daughter. But the nobleman was an absentee father, and the children survived on the very depths of poverty. At that time and in that place, life was hard and despair was easy. Martin's mother had great difficulty in supporting the children with little, if any, help from their father. This was in the land of the Incas, scarcely fifty years after Pizarro and his conquistadores had conquered the country in his search for gold and riches. And despite the conditions in which they lived, Martin's mother inspired his faith and taught him about God. Although they had practically nothing of physical value, his faith in God was being channeled into a fount of love and compassion for those all around him who were suffering and also in need. His faith became the focal point of his life as a youth. He found great satisfaction and solace in prayer, which to him was his personal conversation with God, 
which consisted far more than just the recitation of mere words. He not only prayed to God, but listened in his heart to what God was leading him to do. Maybe there's a lesson for us there, too, not only to take the time to pray, but also to listen. We could hardly imagine how different life was back in the 1500s when we compare life in this 21st century. We would probably cringe when we learned how differently medicine was practiced back in Martin's time. For example, one source of health care was the local barber. That's right, the barber. You could go there for a haircut or a trim and at the same time receive treatment for fractures, wounds or abrasions or simple bloodletting, which was a common medical practice of the day. And in some cases, the barber was also trained in prescribing medication for certain diseases or conditions. Well, always concerned with the future of her children, Martin's mother was able to have him become an apprentice to what was then known as a barber-surgeon. Well, Martin was a keen observer and a good student as he served his apprenticeship. He became skilled in the primitive medical practices of the day, but at the same time he was equally concerned with his own personal relationship with God. He would learn his trade by day, but his nighttime hours were his special time for prayer and God. As he became more knowledgeable about medicine and his skills improved in treating the sick with herbs and other primitive cures, prayer was also becoming the most important ingredient in what might be called his medical practice. It seemed more and more that his touch and prayers were really the cause for the cures, which in many cases appeared to border on the miraculous. Well, this bothered Martin, and he was very disturbed that he personally would be given the credit, and he often tried to disguise the cures with the use of herbs or other medicines to which he would explain as the cause of the cure. But in his room at night, the hours spent in prayer increased in intensity as they did for the remainder of his life. He thought and dreamed of serving God as a religious, even as he approached his mid-teens. So, at the age of 15, when most boys of his age had lofty ambitions for success in school, business, romance, and the future, Martin's mind was made up. His goal was to be a religious in the order of St. Dominic in a nearby convent. One possible reason for his desire to be a Dominican was that quiet, simple voice that speaks to your soul and guides you in the direction God wishes you to follow if you only listen. And his love for the Dominican order was only exceeded by his lifelong desire to follow the directions of St. Dominic himself, imitating his example probably because of his young age and the fact that there were few, if any, black religious in that era, he was accepted into the convent where he was thrilled to become a lay helper, 
because he didn't consider himself worthy enough to be what we might consider a full-fledged brother. He considered himself merely as a servant. And because of his dedication, his willingness to serve, and his increasing reputation, he was promoted to other positions within the convent, which certainly included his practice of medicine, and then he made his profession, becoming a full-fledged Dominican brother. While his days were spent nursing the sick as well as working among the poor, his nights continued to be filled with prayer that he could find the strength to do the will of God for all people, particularly the poor and the disadvantaged, while always considering himself to be the lowliest of the lowly. Perhaps it was that same humility that caught the attention of the people and endeared him to them. As an example, at one point, the convent was seriously in debt with, well, few assets of its own. And it was then, considering himself so unworthy, records show that Martin implored his superiors to sell his services by saying, I am only a poor mulatto. Sell me. I am the property of the order. Well, when he was 24, his main responsibility became that of the infirmary director, utilizing early training, and he treated each and every person who came for help with respect, with care, and with an ever-present love for neighbor, and would often be seen leaving the convent infirmary in the evening to provide hope and care for other people of Lima who were also in need. If the convent and infirmary were short of funds, well, Martin would take to the streets of Lima and beg for alms, and Providence always provided him the funds needed to feed and help the people in distress. No person would ever be regarded by Martin as lower than he. One day, a man came to the convent, weak and almost naked, and covered with sores over most of his body. The infirmary must have been full, and the man looked hopelessly at Martin for help. Without a thought, Martin took him and stretched him out in his own bed. One of the brothers chided him for perhaps going a little too far in his charity, to which Martin responded, and I quote, Compassion, my dear brother, is preferable to cleanliness. Reflect that with a little soap I can easily clean my bed covers. But even with a torrent of tears, I would never wash away from my soul the stain that my harshness toward the unfortunate would create. Well, a serious epidemic struck the city of Lima, and in the convent there were about 60 religious who were infected, and as a protection for the other residents, the doors to where the 60 were housed were locked and could not be opened. However, the locked doors presented no impediment to Martin. He simply opened the doors, walked in, and cared for the sick, without the doors ever being unlocked. This phenomenon was repeated over and over, with his superiors continually mystified because there was no explanation found how Martin could come and go 
through locked doors. To Martin, sick people were God's business, and his primary job was to provide care for the poor people of Lima, who were God's children. As I mentioned earlier, in what little spare time he had, Martin would take to the street begging for funds to help the poor of Lima, and because of his lack of pride to beg, he was able to provide food for about 160 people every single day. And if providing food and medical care were not enough, he raised remarkable amounts of money every week to help provide other needs to the poor of his city. As he traveled around the city begging and helping, he couldn't help but notice what had to be the poorest of the poor and the neediest of the needy the poor children of Lima, many of whom were not able to be cared for by their parents and so were either abandoned or left alone. Well, the sorrow of the little ones was almost too much for Martin to bear, or perhaps ignore would be a more appropriate word. So one more task was undertaken by Martin de Porres. He founded an orphanage where both the physical and spiritual needs of the children would be provided. More and more, Martin was perceived to be a miracle worker, and the wonders of his works and what he was accomplishing became legend and included some unbelievable feats, even with animals who were the recipients of God's gift through Martin. Dog after dog in desperate need came to Martin and then left when they were cured. But dogs were not the only patients. He helped cats, too. One story tells about discovering a cat whose head had been smashed by a rock thrown at it. Martin took it in and stitched up its head, and the cat was passive and quiet during the ordeal. When he was finished, he even fashioned a kind of cap he placed over the stitches and told the cat, You are in a bad way. Come back tomorrow. Well, the next morning, the cat was waiting patiently at the door and returned for treatment each morning until it was healed. But of all the animal stories connected with Martin de Porres, perhaps the best was one that has been described as his legend of the rats. Yes, that's right, rats. It appears that a rat was seen in the monastery, which raised some concern. But then a second rat was seen, and before long, the convent seemed to have been invaded by a horde of rats. Well, this prompted the prior to order Martin to put out poison to eliminate the rat population. Well, this troubled Martin because he felt sorry for the rats, but understood that they shouldn't be there, and always obedient, he had his own cure for the situation. He went outside in the garden area and very softly called out for the rats, and sure enough, they answered his call and appeared. He chided them for the nuisance they were causing, and then he told them quite kindly that they shouldn't be there and that he was ordered to put out poison that would kill them. However, he promised them if they stayed away from inside the convent, he would personally put out food for them every day. 
which he did, and the rats no longer were a nuisance and obeyed his request 100%. Unusual and unexplained cures were also the actions of a normal day, and their very manifestations became out of the ordinary. So many people prayed for his intercession and were cured that his fame was becoming even more widespread, but his humility also became even more pronounced. While his early ambitions were to include becoming a missionary, he was never able to leave Lima. Physically, that is, but through the sworn testimony of many, he had this gift of bilocation, as I mentioned, being in two places at the same time. And one example was a slave from Africa was being brought to this hemisphere, shackled in irons aboard a ship and suffering greatly. He was visited and consoled by Martin on several occasions on the ship, and this gave the man hope and a reason to survive. Later, absolutely by chance, that same person met Martin de Porres in Lima, and when he met him, he asked Martin if he had a good voyage, only to learn that Martin had never left Lima. On another occasion, a friend of Martin's was in Mexico on business when he became very ill and thought, Oh, Brother Martin, if you were only here to help me. And at that very instant, Martin appeared to him, cured him, and the man was very grateful for the visit. And only later did he learn that Martin had never left Lima. Well, Martin was seen around the world and as far away as China and many other distant lands. One of the brothers described Martin, and I quote, His life was a living mirror of religious life, a model of piety. Martin shunned anything that would make him special or call attention to himself. In fact, his habit was usually in tatters from the many patches that he used to repair the tears. Even his shoes were shoes that had been discarded by other friars. Well, one story rather sums up this miracle worker of old. When he was on a picnic outing with some of the novices, and the time passed so quickly that they didn't realize that they should now be back in the monastery, well, Martin quietly had all of them join hands in prayer, and when they opened their eyes, they were standing in their convent, and none could explain just what had happened none but Martin, and as usual, he never said anything. And then there was the priest with the runaway leg infection that was so bad the doctors were preparing to amputate the leg. Martin visited the priest, removed the bandages, put his hand on the infected leg, prayed, and the priest was healed and the leg saved. And then there was the story of old Father Thomas, who had been in failing health for some time, and as death approached, was anointed just before he died. Later, the body became cold and was being prepared for burial, and Martin came in, knelt near the body, and prayed. He then put his mouth near the dead priest's ear and called him by name. 
color returned to the old priest's face, and the, the old priest, being ready for burial, took a breath and came back to life. Martin shook off any mention that he had performed a miracle by stating simply it was God's will. Holy Mass was the center of Martin's life, and any free hours that he had were spent in front of the tabernacle where he could be closer to Jesus. And next to Jesus, Martin had a great devotion to the Virgin Mary, and it is reported that she appeared to him on a number of occasions. Well, the years passed, and the stories of the amazing Martin de Porres became legion, along with the wonders that were being attributed to this holy man. He was a friend to all, to all the people of Lima. They all knew, respected, and loved him. In fact, one of his closest friends was later to become known as St. Rose of Lima. But now he was nearing 60 years of age, and while the weight of his gifts to God and the poor had made his body frail, his devotion and continued good works were a beacon of goodness given to a darkening world by a loving God. Martin's strength was sapped as, as a raging fever consumed his body, but not his spirit. As he lay on his bed of boards that had been his nightly resting place for many years, his superiors insisted that he be moved to a regular bed, and only out of obedience did he comply. His frail body was now racked with pain, but he endured his pain without complaint because he felt it united him more closely with Christ on the cross. His expression did not change, but his smile took on a far deeper meaning. Martin asked that his brothers in Christ pray for him. One of his friends took his handkerchief and wiped the sweat off of Martin's brow, and as he did, he noticed that the sweat on the handkerchief had the sweet and overpowering aroma of freshly cut roses, the same aroma of sanctity connected with so many great saints of the church. A leader of the country of Peru at that time, a viceroy, came to pay his last respects, but Martin kept him waiting, and after he left, the superior told the dying Martin de Porres that he shouldn't have delayed so important a visitor, to which Martin whispered feebly, waving his hand toward the little altar in the room, and answering, Near that altar, there was the Most Holy Virgin, my patron and advocate, and my father, St. Dominic, with St. Vincent Ferrer, along with many angels and saints. I was so occupied with them that I could not receive any other visitors at the moment. Martin received the last rites and held a crucifix in his hands, and his face seemed troubled. The superior suggested he call on St. Dominic for assistance, and Martin answered very softly, He's already here. Martin, now barely able to move, kissed the crucifix while all the brothers and priests gathered around him singing the Salve Regina. Martin kissed the crucifix again, and then it fell from his hands as surely an army of angels escorted his soul personally before the throne of God, 
on November 3, 1639. Even more untold miracles were taking place not only in the monastery but throughout the entire world, and more and more there were reports that they were accompanied by smells sweeter by far than the most fragrant of flowers. It didn't take long before his cause for beatification was introduced, but the miracles also continued. Well, Pope Clement XIII signed the decree of heroic virtue on February 27, 1763, but more miracles were needed for his cause to advance, and they happened. For example, one Elvira Moriano of Lima went to pick up an earthen jar and dropped it, and as it broke into many pieces, a small fragment flew into her eye and pierced the cornea, letting all the fluid in her eye run out. It was so painful she thought she would surely die. Of course, prominent doctors examined her and told her that there was nothing that could be done to save the eye. It was now withered and empty, and then the doctor added, Only God can save it. One of the priests for the monastery of the Holy Rosary sent her a relic of Martin de Porres and touched it to her eye. The pain stopped, and she became very relaxed and fell into a deep sleep. And when she awoke, she could see. She jumped out of bed and raced to a mirror, and her eye was as perfect as if nothing had ever happened. Martin certainly must have God's ear that particular day. Well, the miracles continued, and they'd still do up to today, our time. And on October 29, 1837, he was declared blessed. The church takes its time to make certain that all of the facts, all of the miracles, and the sanctity of the person is genuine, true, and correct. And on May 5, 1962, Pope John XXIII elevated the child of the once black slave to be forever known as Saint Martin de Porres, a patron of poor people, a patron of social justice, education, and the love of God. I found out later that on the day of my baptism, my mother entrusted me to Blessed Martin de Porres, and for that I shall be eternally grateful. Martin de Porres was a perfect example that we are all God's children, regardless of color or our lot in life. Martin de Porres, a beautiful role model for us all. He may not have been a tall man, but he was a giant of the faith. This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network.